0: Hello and welcome to this very first podcast of the Strategic Leadership Dialogue Institute. I'm Albert Adon. I'm the chairman and founder of the Institute. We have been holding this dialogue in various forms for the last 10 years. Usually, we hold it here in Jerusalem. In 2009, we started with only Australia and Israel. And in 2011, the UK joined. This year, the United States has sent a bunch of great people as contributors. And for the very first time, we have this year recorded all of our sessions. There were nine in total. In turning away from Chatham House rules, we are aiming at becoming a coherent voice in the public debate. The subjects this year range from fake news, uh, which is the subject of the podcast today, uh, to uh, the war on terror, we're examining what's after ISIS, uh, to the new map of the Middle East, uh, cryptocurrency in the new world digital economy, uh, the social media after Cambridge Analytica, and much, much more. Uh, all the panel of experts and the learned participants in the debates ensure uh, that uh, the contribution, hopefully, is of very high quality. Uh, We are going to present here a subject per week over the next nine weeks. The very first one is led by Yaron Dekel, uh, who is a star political commentator in Israel on Israeli politics. In um, his panel, you've got a range of journalists from Australia, uh, Israel, and the U.S. For some no-good reasons, we didn't have any uh, U.K. journalists this year. However, many U.K. parliamentarians are in the audience and participating very vigorously, as you will uh, be able to hear. Uh, Please feel free to post a comment online, on iTunes, that would be really appreciated. I would like to introduce you to Jaren Dekel and his panel. Um, So, my friends, uh, this year, it is a pleasure to have um, an addition, a significant addition to the dialogue because we are welcoming the Americans for the first time. And uh, so to open this uh, dialogue, we've got a fantastic uh, hot topic. Um, and so for this hot topic, which is um, a terminology that we all hear, and perhaps we all understand something different when we hear it, and that's the terminology of fake, me- fake news. And uh, for that, we've assembled quite a formidable panel. Uh, we have Jaron Dekel, Yaron is a senior political commentator in the Israeli media. Uh, We've got uh, Tal Shalev. Uh, Tal uh, is uh, a political correspondent of uh, the Walla. You all know Walla News online. Uh, We've got uh, we've got uh, Neri Zilber, and Neri works for Politico, I believe, and a few other. Uh, news uh, media organizations. We, um, we've got uh, uh, Brett McCarthy, who is the uh, editor of the Western Australian newspaper, a formidable newspaper in Australia. Um, uh, there is also Pierre Zuckerman. Pierre is a senior journalist and uh, um, a star columnist, I should say, uh, from the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. And uh, am I forgetting anyone? That's it, the five of you. That's great. So let me set the scene a little bit. Um, The media, in the Popperian idea of democracy, um, the media occupies a very central role uh, because um, that's the scrutinizer. Uh, It keeps honest the politicians, the government, the opposition. Uh, It keeps honest even the judicial. And when the media is under attack one uh, could uh, think, perhaps rightly, that democracy is under attack. But that assumes, of course, it implies that the media has to be an impartial, uh, honest uh, commentator. And is that the case? So I'm going to give you, because we are in Israel, let me give you one example. I was in France for the last eight weeks, by the way. And uh, so, I have seen the news from their perspective. Um, There was one incident that happened during the Day of Independence in Israel, where uh, a baby was killed on the Gazan border, of course on the uh, the Palestinian side. And of course, that's a tragic event. Nobody can stand there and say it's not a tragic event. It's completely devastating to have a baby uh, that is killed in a demonstration. And that was reported all around France, but I understand it was reported all around the world. I've seen it online. I've seen what the Austrian media have reported about it, and so on. Later, much later, we found out that actually the baby died of secondary causes, which were uh, health causes, and that was reported by uh, the uh, medical uh, representatives of the Sifa Hospital in Gaza. Um, however, there was something that was disturbing. Uh, that there was no media organization that I know of, and uh, that doesn't mean that I know all of them, but certainly in uh, uh, all of what I've seen online, no media organization asked the question, what on earth was a baby doing in the front line of a demonstration against Israel? Uh, While it may not sound essential... But if you are reporting, surely the context is essential and uh, the follow-up question is as essential as the story itself. So I would like to ask our panel to start by uh, five minutes each, I would say. I would suggest five minutes each and then we open because it is a dialogue after all and uh, the participants... Uh, Will uh, comment and ask questions, uh, but if we do five minutes each, your definition of fake news—where uh, is that term coming from? Is it justified in your opinion? Uh, some examples and uh, whatever else you want to fill the blank. Thank you. Um, well, w- well, I'm saying you know, you know, we're in Israel, so I have to say five minutes for it to be something like that. Okay, and uh, you start, Yaron. Thank That's you. In five, in five minutes.
1: We will yeah, have to uh, talk in double speed. You know, you know, wow! So For ah, ten. Oh. Okay. 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 Thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad to be here. It's a it's a it's an honor and a pleasure. And um, I'm I cover the uh, Israeli political arena in the last three decades or so. And recently, I was a, a, the chief editor, the editor in chief of the uh, most popular a radio station which deals with current news. Uh, it's the IDF radio station, which is very popular in, uh, in Israel. Uh, also, I was based in Washington, D.C. for five years under George W. Bush and the war in, uh, in Iraq. Um, I would like to start making two uh, assumptions. Obviously, it's all my thoughts, and I represent only myself. Uh, first of all, fake news didn't start with Trump. And secondly, we med- media journalists are to be blamed um, like the politicians, more or less. And let me start with the one previous question you might know. Who is the uh, uh, president who initiates uh, a um, secret newspaper to support his campaigns and assault his rivals, and he wrote secretly um, articles undefined, un, uh, under cover, with a fake name, and, and bribed the owners of uh, newspapers to who supported him. Any clue? Uh, well, I, I know about Lincoln. Okay. Because, about uh, Abraham Lincoln, there is a book from 2014, um, Lincoln and the Press, Lincoln and the Power of the Press, by Her, uh, Harold Holzer, who describes um, what Lincoln did. Obviously, it wasn't under, it was under the surface because Lincoln, for 150 years, was the hero of the uh, Civil War, so nobody talked about the dark side of the president. Now, when we talk about fake news, there is this simplistic definition, um, lies. Fake news is lies. When President Trump says, in my inauguration, there were more people than in Obama's inauguration, we can watch the uh, photos and see who tells the truth and who tells the lie. And I think we can all agree this is very simple. The, the other uh, term of fake news is more complicated and i think it's more interesting when we talk about trying to hide or manipulate or distort the information we journalists uh, broadcast or, or print to to the public in israel to be honest it's that the 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 left used, used to say in the 80s and 90s that the uh, the right wing parties to justify the uh, the occupation in the territories lie give false new false uh, information and data and distort the whole uh, scenery in the uh, territories in judea and samaria and uh, when we talk about this fake news and we have to ask ourselves who is who are our sources in israel I believe in some other democracies. The government has the most, the largest information that could uh, contribute to the press and holds huge amount of facts that it could share or hide from, from the public. So in my view, the government has its easiest for the government at least in Israel, to manipulate the press, and it doesn't matter if it's a right-wing government or a left-wing government. Um, the uh, and, so, and that's why I believe that Netanyahu and Trump and Netanyahu started using the words "fake news" since Trump was elected, because though how helpful it is in a campaign, an ongoing campaign, and how popular it is among the, uh, uh, his supporters. Um, and, uh, and it seems likely that we, the, uh, uh, the press, um, cooperate with the politicians that use the terminology uh, fake news. Now, we should know that in Israel and other parts of the world, most of the media outlets are private. When, once they are private, they have to make their living. And if there are no readership or viewers, and no rating, media will not last for long. And for that, it's un- sometimes unpleasant to say you have to be a little bit populist uh, to catch or interesting. It's a better word for being a populist to catch the eye of of the public. The only the main problem in my eye that the politicians now, Try to uh, put aside any criticism, any criticism under the uh, headline of uh, fake news. It sounds much better than bullshit, obviously. But if we don't agree with this criticism, we say this is oh, it's all fake news. And the problem is that there are many listeners, viewers, readers that do believe that the media manipulates the information. Um, and here it comes to the uh, second assumption about us. We use the fake news a lot, I think too much. For instance, when Netanyahu traveled to South America and uh, he said that the Israeli press didn't cover his trip, which was totally lie, Nobody wrote, nobody said publicly, look, uh, this is a lie, or the minister didn't say the truth. We prefer to use the same terminology, this is fake news, as the politicians do. And once we do use the same terminology, sometimes we help them to uh, put that on the table all the time as a legitimate expression. Um, 22 years ago, Netanyahu won um, in a very small margin uh, against Shimon Peres, the late Shimon Peres, 1996, with no internet connection and no internet uh, website and no Facebook. There were 20, 25 political reporters and commentators in Israel, which means if you have them with you, It's easier for you to manipulate the media and the agenda. And I think the fake news, the main reason that we have to deal with it is the framing of the news, the tone, the music. Do we um, put a spotlight on the Palestinians who um, try to? Hit with stones Israelis or the settlers who try to hit Palestinians. Now, if I'm an editor in chief, what is the balance? Because this happens and this happens. Sometimes much more on the Palestinian side. On Haaretz newspaper, for instance, you will see only settlers who hit Israelis or hit Palestinians with stones. For instance, do they manipulate the, uh, the information? Yes, they do. Are they alone? No, they are not. Because everybody has its, its term in uh, editing. You have to decide what you put on the front page, on the second page, and, uh, and, uh, and elsewhere. And we just saw it now with the agreement between Israel and Poland. At the beginning, the prime minister gave a statement uh and the, the polish prime minister did did the same, and nothing happened we there's as, as 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 facts and then a uh, historian came out with an article and the Vashem followed and then it's a huge mess so we asked ourselves where 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 was the press ten days ago or two weeks ago the uh, there is no one tone or one music or one Uh, view at the Israeli press anymore and I'm very Okay Uh, There was a The the huge debate about the Polish uh, uh, Law who uh, prevents anyone to blame the Polish people for crimes during the uh, World War II, crimes against Jews, and Israel did a lot, a lot, a huge effort to change the bill, and uh, it made it. After a few months of discussion, of secret discussions, uh, there was a success, and the uh, Parliament of, of the uh, in in Warsaw decided to change and to reverse the situation as it was. And the Prime Minister of Israel said, uh, "Well, we are glad that we managed to do the, to do so." And and he gave a speech, um, um, coordinated with the Polish government. The problem was that after two weeks, we discovered that it um, gave a unbalanced for those who made the crimes and those who helped to save Jews during the Holocaust. Um, Putting uh, much more uh, emphasis on those who saved Jews, which were the minorities, than those who uh, um, killed and murdered Jews, who were the majority. In those who, uh, if we if we count them, and 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 we didn't pay any attention at the beginning because we accepted what the two governments um, and the the, the, uh, the agreement and the declaration made. Um, so my view, and um, this is the last uh, and final uh, sentence, you cannot have in the media, and I'm glad in Israel it doesn't uh, happen anymore, one tone, one idea, one view. We need variety, more left, extreme right and extreme left, balance, central, and then the viewers, the readers, the listeners, and the customers of the media will choose which paper they want to read, which website they will share with their friends, and which channel they would watch if they watch news. And I also apologize that we cannot... Uh, we hold you here once the Uruguay, Uruguay plays against France in the World Cup.
2: Well, you see, this this, this actually illustrates the whole point of, of what is... Uh, I think essentially why we are why we are now co- concentrating and using this first session to discuss what we the phenomenon which we now call fake news. Now, I mean, I'm sure we're all familiar with, with uh, Omar Khayyam's you know extremely famous epithet uh, uh, the moving finger having writ moves on, and nor all your tears nor Party nor wit can lure it back to a race, uh, a tear, uh, so forth and so on. But, of course, Kayam was a a romantic. Um, I I believe that even apes uh, communicate false news. I mean, there have been uh, uh, Ms Goodall watched some chimpanzees indicate to other apes that the bananas were over there when, in fact, they had a whole stash over here. And so while the troop went that way, the the, uh, the dominant or the, the craftier ape went and ate the bananas. My point is this, that... Uh, and, and I think Churchill once said that um, um, uh, a lie gets twice around the world in the time truth takes to put on its trousers. This stuff has been going on forever. Um, only the vector has changed. And I, I guess it's... Uh, One of the one of the um, uh, disadvantages of the connectivity that we all enjoy, and we so we can get soccer uh, scores while we're sitting here, and and do other things. If if we all get boring, but uh, in a competitive media world uh, where we once looked for readers, but now uh, internet uh, organisations like Facebook and and its and its myriad. uh, uh, competitors are looking for eyeballs so that they can attract more revenue, uh, the, the competition to attract is, is even more fierce. Now, we used to say, and I still believe, that the role of the media is to inform uh, and it must also entertain. Otherwise, it will inform very, very few people. Now, I was a former vice president of Fox News when we started it out, and I was, like you, uh, uh, based in Washington during the uh, early days of the, uh, of the Clinton administration from the Clinton election on through his inauguration in the first year. And, and as many of you know who follow international politics, one of the set pieces of American journalism is the first hundred days of the new president, Well, in 1993, as uh, having taken over a station which hitherto had not actually produced news, uh, WTTG, um, we thought, what shall we do? Because at Fox, we didn't want to replicate the traditional networks, ABC, CBS and NBC. So we, uh, we actually did the first 100 days of Roger Clinton, the president's brother. And Roger, as you may recall, um, was a a frequent user of cocaine. He drank to excess. He played a musical instrument extremely poorly. And he uh, fell over as he got out of limousines. He fell over as he tried to get onto a stage. He fell off when he tried to get off a stage. So we we put the first 100 days of the first brother up and cleaned out the ratings. And uh, Rupert Murdoch rang me in the morning and said... I don't know, the Greens, which are the first rush of the ratings you used to receive uh, before the internet, um, uh, really kicked in. He said, there seem, they seem, seems to be something wrong. You you know, you, WTTG is way ahead of everything else, and what, what did you do? And I told him, and he said, well, what are you going to follow up with? And I said, we've had so many calls from people in Washington, public service mainly, who didn't get to see it, we're going to run it again. So I'm promoting it all day. And, of course, the ratings doubled that night. And now that wasn't fake news. But I think that uh, had the fake news been around, um, the White House would have used it because as it happened, I had to go and see George Stephanopoulos uh, in, in, a, in a week or so after that. And, and I actually said to George, George, this is a deal. I know we're a new network. And we don't have a lot of stations, but we're going to have a lot of stations. And what we want to do is, because you've had very successful town hall meetings during the campaign, going to offer you a, a spot every, every Sunday night, a half hour. You can have the President Uptown meeting in the town of your choice, and we'll get a crew there. And it'll be terrific. He can talk to the people. Well, he swore at us, actually, and didn't get up, but uh, insisted that we leave immediately call the Secret Service and get us out of there. So I, I think that Clinton missed a huge opportunity looking at what came afterward. He, he, he didn't really understand the media and Stephanopoulos, for all his so-called smarts, was dumb. Um, now we come to fake media. Now, according to BuzzFeed, the fake media... Uh, sorry, fake news has been, been in use since about 2016. Um... Uh, Craig, uh, Craig, what was his name? I got it. Written, I wrote it down because I didn't know. Uh, Craig Silverman. He, he, and a colleague st- looked at this thing then, and they identified at least 140 fake news sites, and they were all coming out of a town in Valais, in the what we used to call the Eastern Bloc. Now, these were people who were being paid by a state to absolutely influence, and and you know we still have ongoing investigations into the f- impact of fake news through that election. As I said earlier on it 's the vector that really kicks this thing along, and in this case it 's what I call the anti social media because whereas uh, in in print you can have a left wing newspaper you can have a right wing newspaper and they 're available at newsstands. When you have uh, organizations with the the uh, reach of facebook millions of people is that is that a half time bell um, uh, 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 where you have em- editors employed by Facebook, by Mr Zuckerberg, who are in there uh, leaning heavily on the scale to weight the uh, news, they, uh, to change the algorithm, mm. then we are in a very, very serious problem. Now, I'm opposed to regulation of news media. Uh, It is regulated in the US because all television stations have to appear before the uh, FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and justify their holding of a licence to use public airwaves. We have a very powerful state uh, uh, broadcasting arm, the ABC, which gets about a billion dollars a year, and it is, by, by its own admission, tilted to the left. The shows that put on um, are not popular, for one, uh, but they are state subsidised, and therefore you have a a a lot of unpopular people putting putting their views before the public, and the public is actually paying for it. Now you used the term earlier on. um, uh, You talked uh, about uh, so much the the. uh, pe- 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 you talk about uh, things that the, the, the public actually wants to see. Now these things get degraded. <laughs> but, but we're in a democracy, and people should be allowed to see what they want to see. And and they shouldn't be sneered at and 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 you, you, and denigrated simply because they, they maybe they like a funny show, maybe they like All in the Family, or they like something which may be lowbrow but it's actually something that they enjoy in this office of very good writing in, in many of these shows and in, in, in the news. So I'm really not sure which way we go with fake news in the future. I think that fake news as a term has been so overused already, it'll be out of fashion uh, within a year or so. But the, the, um, uh, the, the actual process of fake news or presenting a biased view this way or that won't go away. It'll just alter. It's a a chameleon. It will morph into something else. And this is where we we have to educate readerships. We have to educate the public into being as discerning as possible, particularly about the political process. Because we've all seen it's it's so easy, and 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 the the picture of the baby is is a is a case in point. But even the <coughs> the front page new uh, of the New York Times, the international edition, which was available at this hotel this morning, where it had a a story out of Australia, and I think, well, what the hell's Australian story here? I'm in the middle of you know I've just flown twenty hours to get away from Australia. And yet some reporter from the New York Times is telling me how bad our view of New Zealanders is in Australia. Well, that's fake news because many Australians are married to Kiwis. Many, they, they all have links. They have friends and so forth and so on. What the story didn't point out to any great degree was that the people that, who are being deported from Australia are Kiwis who committed crimes within Australia now the law says that if you are a person from another country who holds another passport then uh, and you're of bad character then we can push you out we can say you can after you've served your sentence go home and that and that's the base but the but the in my opinion, the presentation of that news this morning, people say, "Oh my God, the Australians—they locked up a seventeen-year-old kid," and then there was very little about his actual record: assault and battery, theft. You know, he was probably raped a seventy-two-year-old woman. Now, it didn't. Highly likely he did, but um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, on those basis, on that basis, he broke he broke the Australian law. So, if you're a dual. Passport holder, and you commit a crime in Australia, it's not fake news. You're going to be sent home. If if the minister or the courts decide that you probably are a, a, a bad character, bad actor, you're out. So
3: we should extend that to the All Blacks before they play the Wallabies. <laughs> Keep them out of the country as well. I think
2: they've got to commit the crime in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Brett, you go. Um, yeah,
3: thanks, Piers. Um, yeah. I guess um, for me, and, and just listening to, to both um, those you know, great uh, talks about this topic, the, the, the one thing for me is that uh, I, I think it's very difficult. We, you're never going to get agreement across uh, uh, any group of people as to what fake news actually is. Um, it's very, it's very difficult to, to to come to an agreement as to what what is the definition of it, and you know. Um, how, how does that play out? Because I think it plays it plays out differently in everyone's mind. Um, our, our readers, the people who we publish material to, all have their own uh, different dif- definitions as to what fake news might or might not be. Um, in some ways, I think for the mainstream media, it's almost more uh, valuable for us to think about the opposite and try and define what fake news isn't. Uh, because I think that... Uh, how the the term has been hijacked um, by well by Donald Trump in in the states, uh, and 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 as um, as as has already been said, is being used by other politicians around the world um, to uh, w- when media reports stuff that they don't like um, that, that they don't you know if the media reports stuff that uh, uh, they don't like or is against their philosophy um, it'll be Often now it just seems to be the first thing that's thrown out there. Um, there's a few political staffers in here as, and, and they're good at doing it um, nice. at, at, a, at a local level. Um, the, the first thing that's thrown out, if you don't like the story, call it fake news and people will get that and think it's wrong and move on. Um, so I, I think that uh, mainstream media um, needs, to, needs to get good at defining what, uh, what fake news isn't. And fake news isn't errors. Media. We're always going to make errors. Um, you, Donald Trump gave a um, uh, an award, the awards his top five or ten uh, pieces of fake news last year. Um, released released it on Twitter. Most most of it was just stuff that he disagreed with. Um, some of it was opinion. I think the top one might have been it was an opinion column um, that. Uh, that he called out as fake news. It had it was so, he was calling someone's opinion fake, and and it wasn't based around any any fake um, uh, facts. It was just uh, different to what uh, what Trump believed. And I think that uh, so so we got we to get that right and try and educate our listeners, viewers, people that that, that consume our media on mm-hmm. online, and and say so, well, just because we make a mistake, it doesn't mean that. Uh, that's that's fake news, um, and the, and the better media media organisations will will turn around, and put their hands up to mistakes, and say, okay, we, we've we've done that. A number of Donald Trump's awards uh, for fake news were actually uh, the product of corrections in those media organisations. Whether it was the Washington Post, um, New York Times, I think CNN corrected something that they said, put their hand up to, and said, okay, we got that wrong, we corrected it. Um, I don't, you know, we have got to we're to be much better at doing that in the media we've got to call out what i I now say is well what's real fake news so what what is the real fake news that we need to call out and keep highlighting and uh, i think particularly in australia um the 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 media have we've we've become better at doing that we've become less um shy about uh, calling out um stuff particularly on on social media uh we we probably We probably didn't know what ground we were playing on for a little while. We we didn't quite um, get it. We didn't quite understand, and we've become better now at going. Okay, well, look, this is happening here on Facebook. Um, We know it's not right. We know that uh, people are being deceived. We know that certain things are happening there. We're going to call it out. The Australian newspaper has done it brilliantly over the last uh, 12 to 18 months, in particular. Um, And uh, I think that that's something that Where's the media need to uh, keep being able to do? I I, I think the um and, and this is this has been shown up in America. I think the the, uh, the whole fake news phenomenon is uh, something that's a major opportunity for uh, mainstream credible media. Um, we've we've seen that uh, uh, particularly in the states, uh, those big powerful um, uh, newspaper sites, the Post and the uh, the Times, have, they've grown their subscriber base wall street journal um they've they've grown their subscriber base throughout this uh it's it's occurred in australia across the uh the the news corp uh tabloid newspapers as well as the australian um the subscriber base is is growing and i I think that uh, we need to be able to place our credibility and trust up against the stuff that we we call out as real fake news so um it's it really delivers us, you know, this this great um, opportunity, great way to connect better with the people who we serve, um, our readers and viewers. And uh, I think that uh, we should be able to turn the whole thing into a positive. I think that uh, as media organisations, we should call out politicians when they use the term fake news. And we know that uh, we know that it's not right. Um, the history was was interesting on uh, on Lincoln and, and other U.S. politicians who paid people to write. Um, I know that right now around the world it's still happening with governments, um, exactly uh, as you set out is still happening with governments around the world. Um, the the history to, to, to this whole thing, I I, I looked back at um, the pamphlets that were produced in the 16 and 17 hundreds in uh, in England. That was probably the the start of a another. Uh, whole era of fake news um but anywhere that uh, someone you know wants to gain influence or um uh you know push themselves forward in a in a a sense of power uh they're going to look at ways to do it and uh piers is right the uh the internet has given them a very powerful tool uh that can move information very swiftly around the world and that. uh can and has proved uh, on occasion to be a dangerous thing. Um, I'm also, uh, it completely uh, um, scares me, the idea that uh, you're going to have some governments looking at uh, uh, at regulation in these areas. I don't think that that can be it. I think that uh, we just need to be better at um, the way that we go about um, uh, educating and, uh, and, uh, and talking to the people that we talk to day in, day out. Um, of course the the other bit of fake news is the, this whole thing that it's commercially driven in, there's the power side to it um the, the the propaganda and and those type of hoaxes uh for the for the gain uh, for gaining power there's also the commercially driven bit where they're just looking for clicks um that uh, through the the algorithms that exist will drive um you know advertising revenue and uh, there's a whole lot of websites that are set up just to do that and um not unlike, um, you know, some of the the, the ways that uh, in the uh, going back in the 50s, sixties, or well, maybe 60s, seventies, some of the uh, the the early tabloid uh, newspapers that uh, were were built around the fact of uh, you know finding um, was it finding a London bus on the moon and uh, stuff like that. So this stuff has been going on forever. Jackie
2: um, Kennedy's secret baby. Yeah, uh, I was I was Jack, Jack Kennedy's yeah. alive, living. <laughs> yeah.
3: I was I was a reporter on the Daily Mirror in Sydney and we spent you know that that newspaper spent a fair bit of time in the in the 80s chase, chasing a, this thing called the flabbit, which was a supposed, supposed to be a flying rabbit you remember that well Piers? A rabbit
2: and a cockatoo
3: so, yes <laughs> um they never we, we the, the paper never found it but gee, it looked hard for it for a long time yeah yeah I, there's been there's been various ones yeah, yeah. so look yeah I, I just think Um, It's been around forever. It's still going to be there. Uh, It's a real opportunity for uh, credible uh, and trusted media, and uh, we need to get better at calling it out. Uh,
4: My name is Tal Shalev. I'm a diplomatic and political correspondent for Walla, which is one of the two largest Israeli websites, um, and also... Um, the subject of one of the criminal investigations which is currently going on um, regarding the Israeli prime minister. And I'm mentioning that also because it's a scandal and it's interesting, uh, but also because um, I've been listening to my colleagues and I probably would have started um, with similar arguments. I'll probably sound very um, similar to what they have been saying about what our role is in how we are supposed to be getting better. But Um, I think that in the Israeli case, probably in the American case, probably in the Russian case and other places around the world, um, and especially in the Israeli case and Netanyahu's case, the story of the media and the fake news is definitely not only Netanyahu's responsibility. So Walla is one of the largest two Israeli websites. It's only one of several media outlets, Israeli media outlets that are currently being investigated by the Israeli police um, in what appears to be a grand scheme by the Israeli prime minister to gain control of Israeli media, several media outlets. It's not only Walla, it's also there's an investigation which has to do with the Idiot Ahonot, which is the largest newspaper. All of these uh, investigations have alleged deals between the prime minister or his people, um and um big millionaires who own the media outlets in Israel um to get re- um regulatory um help in exchange for positive coverage at large um and Netanyahu since he came back and i'm connecting to what Yaron said earlier and Netanyahu since he came back in 2009 one of his big big goals has been to gain good media coverage from Netanyahu's point of view the media is one of the main reasons that he fell in 1999 and when he came back it seems at least from the details we know now that he really knew what he was doing and he had a plan because he didn't want um the media to oust him again um this is of course from his point of view um so i think that in a way it's true that fake the fake news as i say movement falls on a very fertile ground because the media hasn't been doing its job necessarily so well but it is also Definitely a political movement um, which builds on a low public trust which exists anyway. And also these new channels of information which enable the leaders to bypass traditional media, to speak to them throughout well, through Facebook, through um, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. And Netanyahu used to have this slogan, and in that respect, um, Netanyahu probably invented fake news even before the fake news phenomena, even before Netanyahu, um, before, before Trump came into power, but Trump has uh, enhanced Netanyahu's use of the theory and of the tactic in order to discredit uh, mainstream media reports about him, which might be critical. Um, I cover Netanyahu, both foreign policy and internal policy and I always try—this is like a personal story—I've oh, I've always been—I try to be fair, and I try to be uh, credible, um, and I, I always took pride in that. Um, last year, Netanyahu started out with this campaign. Once every few days, he would post the media—he would post something on Facebook, accusing the media for not covering some of his achievements, and he had this slogan, "'You won't hear about this in the media.'" And once every few days, he would post a video in which he would say how great he is and how he has all these diplomatic achievements and how we are not reporting about it. And that's why we are fake news. And exactly one year ago, um, the Indian uh, president, uh, Indian prime minister Modi was here. Um, It was a historic visit. It was the first of a kind. It got a lot of coverage. We were excited about it. We were push notifications from it was front page. It opened up the uh, main stories. It was not the main headline on the news, on the main news edition in the TV, but it was definitely covered. It was celebrated. Um, and a week later, we took off to a trip to Europe with Netanyahu. And a few days before that, he posted a post that we, of course, did not cover the Modi visit. You didn't hear about it in the media. So we actually asked to gather some details and get the actual figures. How many, um, reports have been about this in the media? Um, and we got a number. we had like something about three hundred uh pieces all together um we are, we''re not um Israel is this relatively small country three hundred three hundred reports is a nice number and we went on Netanyahu with a trip and we had a briefing with him, and I asked him a, na- a very naive question I asked him why are you why are you saying that we didn't report it when we reported it I'll, I can show you the report, so why are you telling people that you're not reporting it and then he said. The answer was, well, yes, you reported it, but if it was Eud Ormouth, you would have reported it much more. And that was what I think one of the, of course, I, I guess I was naive, but that's when I understood that it really doesn't matter if I do my job the way Netanyahu expects or the way I expect, that it, it's just part of a political movement and this is um, the way it serves him. That being said, I do think that we need to fight back um, by being better, and when I say we, I think that it's uh, all across the world. We're seeing it brilliantly, brilliantly in the United States, how the media, mainstream media is getting better, and I think we're seeing it also in Israel. We need to keep, get better by making it impossible to say that our reports are fake news. That means that we need to fact-check our reports better, and we need to source them much better, and we need to be able not to find holes and to be credible enough. Uh, we need to be more diverse. Yolan talked about that. Um, Israeli media for years, it was very, very heterogenic, but uh, homogenic. But today we're seeing more and more representatives of other societies and other sectors of society being in it. Um, we need to leave the Twitter. I mean, journalists, I think, need to leave social. There's something very comfortable about sitting at home and watching everything live on Twitter or Facebook but we are losing touch with people and i think that um the main lesson of what we saw in israel in 2015 and in the brexit and, the, and then the brexit and then the trump election is that the newsrooms or some of the newsrooms are disconnected um from what real people are thinking and i also think that we need to analyze we need to focus on analyzing what's going on now rather than predict the future because that has um not presented itself as very successful um and just i'm going to end but uh, why is it i'm saying we need to do better we need to do better but as a per- personal confession i have to say that technology makes it very difficult to get ourselves better um i Fully appreciate what technology has done to the way knowledge can spread today in the world and how easy it is and how everyone has access to knowledge. But it is also um, ruining our lives, I think, in a way, and especially journalists' lives. If we just talk about um, the quality of living, um, I think that if you check out how many um, attention span disorders journalists have today, um, it's probably on the rise than 10 or 20 years ago. Um, There's constant info. We get lost in details, especially here in Israel. There's a new cycle which demands, um, requires you to be first um, and not necessarily uh, well-sourced. Israel is a very hectic country. We have push notifications coming out like every second on every stupid little thing. And we're confusing the public as well. But there's also this phenomenon which basically says, and this is the challenge that says, the louder, the better, the populist aspect of it. When um, today to be a journalist and to be, um, to, to to grow as a journalist in Israel, then the Twitter is like the, is Twitter is where the scene is happening. And in order for people to pay attention to you on Twitter, you have to say strong statements. Um, we're seeing more and more populist statements, just like we're unpopular, populist views um, just very being very loud from journalists. Um, and in order to survive in this kind of media environment, you also have to be loud. It's very difficult to try and still believe in understatement in a world where everyone is shouting so loud. And also in a world where, and this is the sad financial aspect of it, is that we're in a world of a lot of, especially Israeli media outlets, financial problems mean that click, that we, that everything our bosses think about are click bites. All they think about is how will we get people reading these um, items? That means that they are looking for much more scandals and less, more serious news. So I totally agree with the fact that um, we should be giving people what they want, and I also think we should be educating the public. We need to regain public trust in order to educate the public, and I think that technology is a difficult barrier on the way to that.
5: Uh, good evening. It's an honor to be here with all of you. Um, uh, I'm the representative from uh, Fake Newslandia, uh, American journalist based here in Tel Aviv, I write for uh, various U.S. magazines, uh, Politico is one of them, but also the Daily Beast, uh, the Atlantic, Foreign Policy, uh, some of the kind of more more prominent uh, magazines that deal with foreign affairs uh, and particularly have an interest in in this part of the world. Um, I don't want to rehash what my colleagues have, uh, have already said, which was, uh, I think, overall just spot on. Um, but I will say I'll start off ge- very generally and then I'll get to... Uh, to more specifics, and specifically Gaza. Um, I deal a lot with the Palestinian story, um, so I'll give a few anecdotes from, uh, from that, from what we saw uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, to my mind, uh, what is fake news? Uh, I thought about this when I was uh, invited to participate uh, in, the, uh, in the panel. Um, you know, I mean, I think one of them, uh, one aspect is media bias, right, or p- at least perceived media bias, uh, which, again, as has been said earlier, uh, is quite old. Uh, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, liberals uh, and conservatives, uh, pro-Israel crowd, uh, anti-Israel crowd. Uh, to my mind, that's not really fake news. Um, you know, you can argue about bias and built-in bias, but, uh, but that's a separate issue. Uh, to my mind, fake news is more, uh, as was said earlier, um, dark arts, kind of politicized or political news. Uh, what you see oftentimes from Donald Trump and Bibi Netanyahu uh, Trump goes after uh, kind of objective facts, objective truth. Uh, so does Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, his infamous statement uh, last election day here in 2015 that the Arabs are coming out in droves uh, to vote uh, wasn't based in any, any objective truth. Uh, and he kind of does that, as Tal mentioned, uh, quite often. Uh, and then the third aspect, and this is definitely fake news, is kind of information operations or influence operations. Uh, So imagine this kind of, you know, uh, proverbial and not so proverbial uh, Russian troll farms, which are kind of spamming uh, Western Europe and definitely America, as we all know, uh, with various uh, quote unquote news items that are meant to go viral and to get certain parts of the population excited uh, about certain things, uh, oftentimes very, very partisan uh, news stories. Um, The most famous one uh, coming out of Europe was Eliza Rape, Uh, fake news story Uh, a German uh, teenager by the name of Liza 13 years old 13 years old uh, was abducted and raped by uh, I believe Turkish or Arab uh, refugees migrants Uh, that wasn't true at all and that was propagated by we now know uh, Russian troll farms kind of social media warriors Uh, the interesting thing is that uh, they try to replicate this exact story in other parts of Europe and definitely Eastern Europe um, I was in the Baltic uh, states last fall. And Lithuania, they had the exact same uh, story. Um, her name wasn't Liza. I forget what the name was. It was Uh But but it came uh, about a week after a German battalion was, uh, was sent to Lithuania. Uh, so not a coincidence. And that's uh, 100% to my mind, fake news. That's kind of hardcore fake news. But the interesting thing is that Number three, this kind of information ops. And number two, which is the dark arts, uh, what we used to call spin in America, Uh, what Trump and Netanyahu do, uh, it oftentimes is towards the same end. It has the same goal, which to my mind is to um undermine trust not only in the media, right? The media is perceived as biased, oftentimes left wing, uh, but it's not only to undermine trust in the media, it's to undermine trust in truth, in the idea of truth. Uh, And that, to my mind, is highly problematic. Uh, It's highly problematic because uh, I truly believe there is such a thing as uh, objective truth. But it's even more problematic that it's coming from our leadership, from people who have a massive platform and that people, uh, at least in the past, wanted to believe, if not actually believed. Uh, And the reason why they're able to get away with it, uh, again, my opinion, is because of technology. Uh, they can go directly to the people. Uh, so think Trump on Twitter or Netanyahu via Facebook. Uh, both have become very, very adept at speaking to the media, or speaking to the people directly and getting their message out. Uh, as Tal knows better than anybody, uh, Netanyahu hasn't given a press conference to the local press in how long? A year? Two years? Two years. Right. Since, since he's been elected. Um, that's... That's troubling on its face. It's also troubling that he doesn't feel the need to go and actually answer any questions. So it's, it's a soliloquy. It's a monologue that he gives, uh, oftentimes via Facebook, Facebook video, to the people. And it gets uh, picked up. Obviously, it goes viral. A lot of people see it. So, so that's a problem. It's a problem for the idea of uh, kind of a democratic polity, uh, you know, the role of the press in a democracy. Um, And it also speaks to the issue of technology. Uh, I'm not going to rehash everything uh, that's been said, but the the proliferation of outlets, the fracturing of outlets via social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and the like, um, is a huge problem just in terms of the amount of information that's out there. And the ADD among journalists is definitely there. Uh, I think the ADD among general population is definitely there. Uh, And people oftentimes just tune out. Uh, even people that are involved in politics. Uh, I go back to Washington quite often. Uh, You wouldn't believe how many people in Washington these days, uh, my age and thereabouts, uh, people that are involved in the business, uh, told me I just tune out. I take care of my little patch, whether it's Africa or the Middle East, and I kind of tune out everything else. And these are people that choose to live in Washington, who chose to do what they do for a living, Uh, and that, I think, speaks to a a higher problem. Uh, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, um, you know, information flow out there coming at you all the time. But I think technology also does something else, which is it undercut the market uh, in journalism. So the question of resources. Uh, I'm a freelance journalist uh, based here in uh, Tel Aviv. I make a living, uh, but I know many people who struggle to make a living in journalism. Uh, by the way, not just freelance, also staff, oftentimes. Uh, So you have less journalists um, working more hours, oftentimes just 24-7 because of the online media cycle. Uh, And they're, like Tal said, you know, they might not get everything right or there's a lot of pressure to be first uh, or to get it out there or to be a bit more provocative than you otherwise might be in your copy or on Twitter or social media. Uh, And that has a kind of snowball effect uh, to my mind. And it kind of undermines... You know, you might get a larger viewership, but a lot of people will see you in a certain light or a certain box and not perhaps as objective as, as you might have been uh, even just a few years ago. And you kind of have to do that just because of the, the kind of resource issue. Um, and again, it's absolutely true. I've had editors say, uh, you have to get the story in uh, to, to hit the news cycle at the exact right moment, because otherwise it'll just get lost. Um, doesn't oftentimes happen to me, but I've, I've heard it to be the case. Uh, It'll get lost. And I'm lucky, by the way, because I deal with a story that has massive international interest. Uh, Israel, Israel and the Palestinians, the Middle East. uh, I don't quite know how somebody who's covering, say, Latin America uh, or Africa uh, can quite generate the same amount of interest. Um, But there's a lot of pressure there to to hit the news cycle at the right moment to generate clicks, which generate advert revenue for the outlet and so on uh, and so forth. So that's also an issue. and It's almost structural, right? So technology is there. I don't think anyone is going back to, uh, print news. Uh, I certainly don't buy newspapers anymore. I subscribe online, but I don't quite buy, uh, you know, print newspapers. Uh, and then also how do you solve the resource issue? Um, how do you get people to pay for news? Uh, both things I think are, are structural and need to, um, we need to figure out how to, how to better address that, uh, both in terms of journalists and also in terms of, just uh editors and and owners of media outlets um with respect to gaza i think it's interesting uh i mean number one just a general observation it it always amazes me but i don't think it it should amaze me at this point i've been doing this long enough that uh anytime something happens here that's like big and especially israelis shooting at palestinians it's massive news all over the world uh people just lose their minds uh which is Again, good for business, but uh, quite bad as far as the actual uh, tenor of the conversation. Um, the Gaza issue, the marches on the border that started off in, at the end of March and continued on for till very recently, uh, they hit their peak in mid May. So May 14th was kind of the big, the big day, the bloodiest day. Um, uh, I think the interesting thing is that the two biggest stories coming out of, of this, this entire story. Was as was mentioned, the baby, the eight month old baby, uh, that was that died. Um, so about that, I think it's interesting. This is kind of uh, in the more pro column for for modern contemporary journalism. Uh, that baby died, and the image went viral, and it did. And you'll still find people who say Israel uh, tear gassed that baby, and she died. Um, who actually found out that that wasn't the case? It wasn't the IDF that put out a message? Uh, it wasn't kind of. Sorry. Right, but the Palestinians were forced to put out that statement. They were forced to confirm the statement because uh, I believe it was an Associated Press journalist on the ground inside Gaza. Again, well-resourced and a pro, so not a stringer, uh, not a freelancer, a pro, uh, got to that family and got the story and got it out. And that, what, that's what forced uh, the Palestinian officials and Hamas to actually say, okay, by the way, she didn't get tear gassed. She had a pre-existing condition. Uh, So that's that's the one of the big stories that came out and that was uh, proven to be a falsehood, uh, although it still ran on the front page of The New York Times. The image did at least Uh, the second biggest story, and this is more to the benefit of Israel, was uh, on that day on May 14th, about 62 people were shot and killed on the border. And it was a huge public outcry, uh, bloodbath on the border, massacre on the border. You all know uh, the headlines and, and the, the coverage. Uh, what saved Israel? What saved Israel uh, internationally in the court of public opinion? It was when a Hamas official by the name of uh, Salah bar uh, went on uh, Arabic-language uh, satellite television and was forced, essentially, by the interviewer to admit that 50 out of the 62 were Hamas members, affiliated with Hamas in one level or another. Uh, and that's, to my mind, what saved Israel. Uh, that was the, the best thing that could have happened to Israel. Uh, the IDF spokesman, I was at an event about a week, week and a half ago. Uh, he didn't readily admit that they, they owed a lot of their more positive coverage in recent weeks to Barta Wheel, but he did say that we should pay Barta Wheel a salary. Um, right, what, what could have happened if he didn't say so? Right. Um, and that, you know, it's not just Hasbara, it's actually just the public information battle that Israel has been waging since the beginning. So Bardawil uh, saved Israel. And that also came out of a traditional journalist uh, who was grilling Bardawil. And she asked him, you know, why, why are you sending, as a Hamas official, why are you sending all these civilians, quote unquote, pur-ported, purported civilians to their death? You know, where are you? Where is the vaunted resistance? And he said, well, 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 50 of our guys were among the dead uh yesterday so that's why you know she forced him to admit that and that's you know you still see that brought up because it happened uh, it came out of a hamas officials mouth and not a idf spokesman or an israeli official so uh that's to the credit of traditional journalism uh i'll just i'll just sum up by saying i'll i'll definitely concur with what tal Shed, tal, tal said um tal Shalev said uh we do have to do better the media does have to do better uh, we do have to get out there. I try to get out there and I try to speak to everybody, whether it's uh, Palestinians, Israelis, Hamas officials, uh, in the West Bank, in Israel, settlers, uh, ultra-Orthodox, whoever it might be. Uh, we can't just sit around on our uh, quote-unquote coasts, uh, whether in uh, you know Tel Aviv or wherever it might be, New York, L.A., San Francisco, Washington. Uh, and I think that's definitely an issue in, in, in the States. Uh, that... By the way, also has an economic component. Uh, go find a local paper in America, in in kind of the heartland of America, that's still hiring. Um, very difficult to find. Uh, number two, I think we need to get people to pay for news, uh, the resource issue, as I mentioned. Uh, and number three, I think uh, we all need to put a higher premium on expertise and not just entertainment. Um, it's easy to say, but, uh, but I think that's... Uh, uh, should be a very high priority. Um, and I'll just close by saying that I was just recently in, uh, in New York visiting my family. Bless you. And uh, my mother is, uh, is quite anti-Trump, uh, not probably not a surprise. And she's uh, very much in the news cycle. She's, uh, you know, viewing uh, CNN and cable news, uh, I would argue, more than she should. Uh, but what you see uh, from the cable news, especially on the kind of center or more center-left, is that they've actually learned They've actually learned to fact check Trump. And so they'll start every show uh, by saying, you know, they'll they'll put out a clip of what Trump said and they say, no, no, this is what actually is the case, which is very different than what they were doing during the campaign, I can tell you, uh, when they were giving kind of Trump uh, carte blanche coverage. Uh, the issue is that, you know, after they were done with their fact check, then they bring on two talking heads, one Democrat, one Republican. And then they kind of duke it out you know, for entertainment purposes. And that just, that's when my mom loses me. And that's when I demand that she changes the channel. Thank you, Neri. Uh, uh, thank
0: you. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for our panel. And uh, l- l- let me tell you the only constraint that we have, because uh, otherwise we would have stayed here forever. But 7.08, that's the time when Shabbat comes in. And uh, we've been asked by the hotel to be respectful and to stop the recording at that time. So I need to um, um, be respectful, absolutely. Uh, And I would like to, therefore, open the floor now. And if we could please take two questions at a time. Um, Lee, would you like to... We have two roaming microphones. Would you like to take this one as well?
4: Yes. Please say your name and who you are.
6: Thank you. Uh, my name is John Howell. I'm a, I, I'm a Conservative Member of Parliament from the UK. But before I went into politics, I used to work for the BBC, which is, in this context, quite a, quite, quite a large news-gathering organisation. So I've seen this issue from both sides of the fence – And the point that I wanted to bring up was the point that effectively uh, you asked in the last presentation, which was why the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is seen as such a large conflict in the minds of the world. And the answer to that does not actually lie with fake news. The answer to that lies with the organization of the BBC because uh, when i was uh, working at the bbc uh, and and uh, and broadcasting on on this the uh, the the number of journalists that were based in the middle east was probably about 10 or 15 and almost all of them were based here in here in, in israel they were all based down the road in, in Tel Aviv. So it's not surprising that that created the impression that this war was a massive affair and should be the focus of, of of attention. Whereas nobody turned to Latin America and looked at the problems that there were there, uh, n- nobody picked out the, uh, the, the, the the sort of problems there. But it wasn't due to fake news. It was simply due to the organisation that they... Um, uh, that. The, that they had put in place. So I think we need to bear that in mind when we think about fake news. So you're saying it's institutional bias? I'm saying very much institutional bias, but principally, principally because um, nobody was really very interested at the time in what was going on here. For example, by basing all their journalists here, they forgot to pick up on ISIS. No, I think that they were based here because it was a comfortable place to be based and they didn't want the hardship of going out into,
7: in, in, into the country and finding st- That's better now.
8: First of all, I think journalists are critically important to civil society and to democracy, so I congratulate and thank all of you. Uh, My thoughts are with many journalists in the world that are in uh, jails today and my daughter-in-law is, I've got six kids, one of them is Turkish and uh, it's a very sad situation. I've always thought that part part truths are always more dangerous than a lie because they cannot be refuted and what you said you're on in terms of balance, it's everything because if it's only a part truth, it becomes fake news. And then as the world has become smaller and 7 billion people are now connected to the World Cup – there's fear of trade wars. Uh, everything's happening at a time where traditional media is no longer viable and journalists are an endangered species. And a balanced journalist is a key foundation stone for our secure democracy. So Australia has like a one-seat majority, 10 marginal seats, 25 million people, and you've got algorithms that can focus on 6,000 voters. And when you target using algorithms, you can use part-truths. So sovereign states are doing it. And when I come to Israel, I see many technology companies that are actually focused and can sell their wares. They get into chat programs, WhatsApp what app chats. You've got fake friends. So you've got 20 close friends with three fake friends in the group. Uh, one will say, uh, Hillary, bad about the emails. Another friend will say, well, didn't people die? And uh, she couldn't handle her husband. Another person will come through. And, well, she rigged her own nomination for the Democrats, uh, and someone else will say, I don't trust her, and then they become very quiet, but they're targeting for a democracy like Australia, 25 million people, 6,000 votes. So I actually think we need strong regulation, and we probably need to make examples of people who manipulate the system uh, because it's upon us today and will happen at the next election or the next election. Uh, I, I admire Kevin Rudd in terms of how... Kevin 07 and the campaign and in 12 months from being in opposition to being Prime Minister was just miraculous but it showed that he had a real gift for his communication skills. So perhaps
0: uh, perhaps, uh, I am going to ask uh, one question given that I have a microphone. Um, So uh, you know all about Adobe of course and I'm uh, not sure whether you're aware of the latest products of Adobe, but now they have a new product that is able, like, uh, um, uh, you know, that uh, Photoshop that can actually alter a photo, and you cannot trust a photo. If you do trust a photo, then you've got some issues. Uh, but now you can actually do that with videos because you can actually uh, put words in the mouth of anyone with his voice. I'm not sure whether you're aware of that product, but it's coming very fast. And then if we're talking about fake news, wait. Uh, that's, uh, you can actually Google this and you will see it's quite fascinating and frightening at the same time. That's uh, my question to you guys. what What's next in that domain? What? what what can what can ha- i mean can you imagine a little bit what is coming next in term in terms of horror sure Holly- hollywood hollywood's doing this yeah. now
2: mm-hmm. uh you know p- putting putting historical uh, characters into into current movies having them interact with um with with uh, people who obviously weren't born when when the uh, historical individual was around um uh I I I I assume that uh I, mean, I, I I really don't like the idea of regulation, but when this sort of thing's happening, uh perhaps there should be a label at the front, uh, as there is with um photoshopped uh, uh news uh photographs that are used generally in a humorous way, uh in the in the brighter tabloid newspapers to say Images have been digitally altered, uh, and, uh, something like that. Um, Leon, I, I, uh, I think that you, you're right in 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 aspect. I think there's too much emphasis on polls, uh, and I think that's sort of the basis of of your part of your statement. Anyway, um, uh, we uh, in the media do often rely on on a slow weekend for the Monday's headline on the polling that took place over the weekend where you may get a, a half-a-point movement. And it's well within the margin of error, but uh, there, there will be a headline across saying that uh, somebody's on the way up or somebody's on the way down or a party's finished or, you know, they'll be knocking on someone's door on the on the basis of this. Um, on the other hand, you have to credit readers with some intelligence, and probably more intelligence than some of the sub-editors. Uh, and you hope that they can they can work out that if there's a margin error of error in there of a percent, and you're talking about a swing or a change in 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 the perception of a person's popularity of one percent or one and a half percent, then. Maybe it's not really worth the front page. Um, uh, you know, it's a bit like the All Ordinaries Index. If you're, if you're looking at uh, something, uh, a movement of, of two points out of sixteen hundred points, are you really going to say the market's up or down? Um, I don't think so. Uh,
9: Will Will Quince, member of Parliament for uh, Colchester, um, a couple of you touched on on this um, th- th- this uh, point around. How much responsibility do you as the mainstream media need to take for the creation of fake news and, and this phenomenon? Because as your circulation decreases year on year, you chase sensationalist headlines, you go after celebrities and politicians uh, like their fair game, um, rumour and gossip. I've got journalists here so I can pick on you for, while, whilst you're there on the on the stage. But point being, the tide has now turned and politicians now have an unparalleled opportunity to be able to strike back because, you know, look at the biggest circulating uh, circulation paper in the United States, around 3 million copies. Donald Trump has 53 million followers on Twitter. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has 1.3 million and yet, what, 200,000 is probably the highest circulation newspaper-ish in Israel. So how much responsibility do you take and actually is it now fair that politicians and celebrities are able to answer back and challenge uh, some of the criticism and gossip and rumor and other things that are being spread about them by the media.
0: I'd like to answer that. I'll
4: just say from my experience with Netanyahu, because as Neri mentioned, uh, it's a constant, covering Netanyahu, especially in the past uh, three years in his last term, has been a constant battle. It means that every, almost every critical report has been discredited by him by a personal attack on very respected and veteran journalists here in Israel, um, low attacks, low and personal attacks, using un, unbearable terms, I would say, very degrading terms. Um and Netanyahu answers almost everything on Facebook. So when uh the main news uh, show opens with a headline about his wife being indicted, he will post fake news, a large photo of fake news and that will resonate to his followers. I think it in a way actually, but that actually makes it a bit easier for us. I think it kind of makes it okay, you can tell your story on your Facebook page and you can tell your story and we'll tell our story on where we tell it. Um, that doesn't mean we're winning. We're not winning. I agree with, uh, I agree with Yaron that at the moment we're losing, we're losing the battle. Um, but I think that, um, at the end of the day, and I think the Israeli experience shows just a story, um, a a year ago, about a year ago, a new TV channel was established in Israel. Uh, 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 openly right-wing channel, uh, religious channel. It's called Channel 20. It had many regulation uh, battles, um, but it's been broadcasting news for about half a year now. Um, And you see that despite the fact that, like in opinion polls, the right-wing constituents complain about mainstream media, they're still not moving to the right-wing station. They still go back, to the main news channels, they still want to get the narrative from mainstream media. So I think that mainstream media still has its merits.
7: So I'm I'm sorry. I'm the I'm the executive director of the chief law enforcement officers in the US. Thank you. We deal with regulated industries and and I assume you're all of the mindset that
3: I'm
7: I'm pretty confident you're all against regulation of your industry. And when I deal or you are so okay, interesting. So I'd be interested if you're against regulation of the industry. I'd be interested in what you're doing to self-regulate your industry. If you are uh, improving some monikers that the public could attach to what is a, you know, what is an investigative reporter, what is a commentator, and what can the media do to validate the categories? Of who is delivering what kind well, of Well, Karen, movies. in the
2: last twenty years in America, uh, we ha- you have seen a proliferation of in-house uh, advice uh, editorial boards and so on and so forth. And uh, these people uh, use um, uh, you know, they nitpick and they go through and should we call? If you, I was just reading a story this afternoon. Uh, 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 about a uh, a what's it, Scarlett Johansson who plays a transsexual man mm-hmm. and this story is about a woman who apparently ran brothels called uh, but she called herself Mr Gill now already i have transgressed what some uh, uh editorial boards because though she she is biologically a woman, as she thinks that she or she sees herself as a man and dresses as a man, I should be calling what what is a biological woman he. And because a historically a, uh, a movie a, 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 a an author uh, who wrote the biography talked about. Mr Gill, uh, after her death, because she went, actually went to jail for tax dodging, running all these whorehouses, uh, said that she was a dreadful person, blah, 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 blah. But he, the author, used the uh, female personal pronoun rather than the male personal pronoun. But what it, my point is this, that this, is a, this argument is, is raging in the media when I think it's a lot of horseshit because there are far more important issues to deal with. But this goes to the depth of uh, self-introspection, self-examination that uh, major news companies... And believe me, you've got all manner of uh, human relations... Operatives working in companies trying to direct the behaviour, trying to direct the editorial uh, f- framing of stories, so that they are totally inoffensive, that they cannot transgress in any possible way. So I think that, and, and in Australia, well, f- first of all, as you know, you have, as I mentioned, the, you have the FCC which is very, very strong, very tough. And believe me, all proprietors of networks in America... You work for the FCC? I work for Comcast NBC. Universal. Right. <laughs> deal you deal with the FCC. Well, you know what it's like. You know, having being hauled down to Washington, you have to appear before a bunch of people who wouldn't know how television news is prepared, know nothing about how what goes into the whole thing, and yet... The, the, they they get the cameras in and they look senatorial and they look official and they and it's all for them, it's all their show and this is their five minutes of fame and and you spend an enormous amount of money going through regulatory hoops. Um, so, but but and in Australia we have we have a, a press council which uh, the media organisations pay for, but they don't have the majority of members on that on that board.
1: We have also a press council
2: with no well, ours requires the publications to publish the adjudications as ludicrous as some of them are.
10: I'll be quick because I think we're running into Shabbat. And in order to uh, comply with asking a question, I'll begin this by saying, do you agree that... Uh, I wonder whether we might underestimate our consumers, though, in the media and amongst journalists, because I'll give you two examples. The, I think as a politician that the public sees through the game of fake news and media. And recently in Malaysia, the uh, Najib government, uh, as you know, banned fake news, legislatively. Uh, that's, that's regulation for you. And it didn't do them much good. Uh, a 92-year-old got elected uh, because I think the public saw that as a final act of a government uh, overreaching and, and could see through what politicians were doing and and journalists were doing too. And the second example I'd give is I have four children aged 10 to 18 and that generation, they don't believe anything in social media or Twitter or Facebook or the general media, unless they have three different sources telling them the same thing. So, Yaron, you talked about our consumers. The consumers, being the general public, I think have a lot better understanding of what is fake, what isn't fake, what they should believe and not believe. And I think it's a very generational thing. If my mother, who's 89, sees something written down anywhere, if it's in social media, she thinks it must be true, because when she was growing up, uh, if it wasn't true, you got sued for defamation, or libel or whatever it might be. But I think the generation of my children and consumers more generally, they see through a lot of this as a game, and they put their own filter on it and make their own assessment. So there is a the growing distrust of the media. Yeah, but they 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 follow the media and they will get. But they will they will say if I see it on Twitter, and then I hear it again on the Channel Nine News. And then I see it in the Daily Telegraph, it's probably true. But if they only see it on Twitter, they wouldn't believe that that was necessarily true at all. And they think Trump is riotously funny because he's set things so much uh, on their heads. But that doesn't mean they think he's telling them the truth.
0: Let's agree that these are concluding remarks. Uh, Everyone, please give yourself a round of applause as well as our panel.